I think there are quite literally millions of people who are asking this question. Who am I? And I think the sad reality is that the church, unfortunately, has not been immune to this identity chaos. In fact, the more people I, uh, I meet with, the more people I disciple, the more people I shepherd, the more I'm convinced that the church, we, God's people, have also descended into the murky waters of this chaos. This is why it's important for us to start here. I mean, this is a marriage conference. You guys came because you wanna learn more about what marriage is, and yet, <laughs> the opening session on the opening night is about this thing called identity. It's about who I am. Sounds like a little bit crazy, but here's, here's why we're starting here. This is very important. If we don't know who we are and whose we are, then we're gonna take things like marriage and dating and singleness and everything else that we do and we're gonna start finding our identity in those things. So that's why we're starting here. And unfortunately, it doesn't take a PhD in theology, anthropology, or sociology in order to understand it. In fact, uh, everybody, if you, have your, if you have your Bibles, grab them. Turn to the book of Ephesians. We're gonna saturate ourselves this weekend in the word of God. So I hope you brought your Bibles. If not, be sure to bring one tomorrow. Now, the book of Ephesians is just one of those books that I think as a church, we should just get really, really familiar with. The reason for that is there's this intentional progression that we see developed throughout the whole book of Ephesians. Uh, let, me, let me show you what I mean. Um, this is really important to help us understand discipleship and as we disciple. Now, don't try to write this down. I've actually got handouts here up front and the ushers will have some at the end of the session. You can grab them, but just all eyes up here for a second and just, just look at this. This is, this is really important. Now, this is the progression that uh, takes place throughout the book of Ephesians. Now, where do marriage conferences tend to start if they come to Ephesians? Ephesians chapter five, right? But in so doing, look at what we miss. We miss Ephesians one through four. And Paul and his, his, uh, his wisdom from God, he chose three chapters, half of the book of Ephesians to talk about who we are. And so if we just jump right to chapter five, and by the way, we're gonna talk about what, what marriage is. We're gonna talk about the vertical wife. We're gonna talk about the vertical husband. We're gonna get there. But if we just jump there, then we're gonna miss out on a whole bunch of information. Let me summarize um, Ephesians chapter chapters one through three in this way. Because of God's great work in Christ, my identity is defined not by what I do, but by who Christ is and what he has done. And we're gonna look at that. We're gonna unfold that, unpack that. And I want us to leave this session today understanding who we are and better equipped to help others see who they are. We're gonna do all that in the next 25 minutes. So buckle up. Here we go. You in Ephesians? Ephesians chapter one. Now Paul starts this epistle with a greeting um, and a doxology. He typically starts his, his letters off with, with greetings. So he's greeting the saints followed immediately by a doxology. A doxology is a praise. So he starts praising God. 
right off the bat. And what's interesting is that this doxology actually is a summarization of the first three chapters of Ephesians. So we're gonna actually spend the bulk of our time in this doxology, and periodically we're gonna step out and look at the, the nuts and bolts of chapter, chapter two and a little bit of chapter three, okay? So that's where we're going. Let's enter the text. I'm gonna read uh, Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse one, and read all the way through verse 14. So follow along as I read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, as we go through this, you can see behind me in the center screen, chapter, I've put up chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. I don't anticipate you being able to read it, but there's two reasons why I put it up there. The first one is this. I want you to see how I've marked up this in my Bible. So what you see behind me as we go through this, you're gonna see what is in mine, okay? I'm gonna show that, I'm gonna share that, I'm gonna be generous with that. The second reason is sometimes it's helpful for us to step back and have a thousand foot view when we're looking at multiple texts all in a line. And so I want you guys to be able to have that view of, okay, this is what's happening even while we deep dive maybe, possibly deep dive into this doxology, okay? You can, you can get a better picture of it. So those are the two reasons this is up and you can just glance up at it from time to time and you'll see it changes, okay? All right, let's make some observations or... Uh, as I like to say, let's dissect the doxology. First, Paul here opens very theological in his uh, discussion. He's talking about the gospel, all right? Just look at all the gospel words that he uses. Look at at verse four of chapter one, he chose us. Um, Verse uh, five, it's predestined. He also says predestined in verse 11 as well. In verse five also he says adoption. In grace, he mentions in verses six and seven, then he mentions redemption, forgiveness, blood, and, and all of that in verse seven. And then lastly, he mentions truth, salvation, and sealed, all in verse 13. I mean, this doxology just oozes the gospel. Second observation, note the key prepositional phrase that's repeated here over and over again, in Christ. In these verses alone, okay, the first 14 verses alone, Paul uses in Christ 11 times. 
And he uses in Christ some 26 times in the first three chapters of Ephesians. So that averages out to about one in every three verses, Paul is using this phrase in Christ or a derivative of it. Some commentators uh, say that Paul uses it so often um, that it's to the detriment of good Greek style. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, it's kind of like this. Um, hey, Jake, bro. Bro, listen, bro. This week, bro, bro, I was thinking about you, bro. You came to my mind, bro, and so I just was worried about you, bro. So I decided, bro, just to stop and get on my knees and pray, bro. Was that okay, bro? Are you doing okay, bro? You don't look like, you, you look like you're doing okay, bro. Should I ask your wife, bro, if, if you're doing okay? Are you sure you're doing, I love you, bro. You know I love you, right, bro? Hashtag bromance. <laughs> Hashtag not creepy. Hashtag brolicious. I was using the word bro to the detriment of good English diction, okay? Not only, not only that, I was annoying him and I was annoying all of you and I was annoying myself in the process of it, but all joking aside, this is akin to what Paul is using or how often Paul is using the, the phrase in Christ here, okay? By the way, look also at the placement of this prepositional phrase. Everywhere you see a green word there is a gospel word and not far from it is the phrase in Christ. So Paul is linking the gospel to Christ. And you're like, well, duh, Chris, you didn't need to come to hear that. Really? Because sometimes I think we forget that the gospel is about Christ. So we need to be reminded of that. And we also need to help each other and remind each other of that as well. All of this highlights the importance of this prepositional phrase. So if it's important for Paul and his audience then, it must be important for us now. So that begs the question, then why? Why is he repeating himself over and over again? And I actually think it's answered in verse 10. In verse 10, I see as actually the key to understanding the entire book of Ephesians, all right? Actually, let's pick up in verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. So Paul says that God is setting forth a plan. Well, what is that plan? Answer, verse 10, uniting all things in Christ. We, we could also say this is like the what of God's plan. So if you're ever wondering, what's God doing? What's God doing? Answer, he's uniting all things in Christ. God is very busy at doing that. Um, also like to point out that this word that Paul uses for unite, really cool word, because I'm a math geek, and it's a math term. It's a mathematical term that he uses here. It has this idea of summation. It's this adding together. So it's like this, it's like one plus one plus one doesn't equal three in God's math, it actually equals one. That's the idea here. So God is doing a great summing up work in Christ. And we see that from verse 10. This adding together is also key to understanding that connection between our identity and Paul's usage of this phrase in Christ. All right. What's a marriage conference without a little cooking example? Some of you may not realize this, and some of you may, that we as a church bake our own communion bread. 
And for some reason, when I came on staff, they asked me to do it. <laughs> and they haven't, uh, they haven't taken that away from me, so I figure I must be doing okay. All right, so the Saturdays before Communion Sunday, I get all the ingredients out, okay? And I essentially lay them out on the counter to get a survey of everything that I've got. So things like olive oil and honey and uh, milk and salt and flour, okay? Now, by themselves, they each have their identity, right? We, we, know, we know honey, right? Like, how would you identify honey? Well, it's honey. It's like, it's like in the food chain, it's like number two, right? Right behind steak, right? <laughs> and if you put the honey on the steak, oh, man, that's my love language right there, okay? So we, we identify honey. It has its own unique characteristics, right? So each of these ingredients are evidence, their identities are evidenced by their unique characteristics. So then I start to mix them up. Or in this case, I start to sum them up, okay? As I'm adding them together, they actually lose their original identity. Their individuality ceases because they're no longer identified by, their, by those specific individualness, but instead they become identified by the finished product. Now they still have some unique characteristics. Honey, trust me, you would know if I left it out, okay? So they still have some uniqueness, but now they've been added together and they're no longer identified by their individuality. So in this case, it's like one plus one plus one plus one plus one equals what? One, the finished product, bread. This is the idea behind what Paul is, is uh, trying to teach us here and when he refers to God's plan of uniting us in Christ. So as we're summed up, we maintain our own individual personalities, our unique personalities that are quite honestly are a testimony to God's creative work as the divine artist. But we're no longer identified by, our, by the individualness of ourselves. So as we're being summed up, it's one plus one plus one plus one equals one. It's Christ. So our identity then, we become defined by Christ being in Christ, right? So implicit though in this text is that there's a problem. If we're supposed to be united, then there must have been a separation problem, right? Um, well, Paul talks about this. Um, we're gonna actually step out of the doxology for a moment. We're gonna look at chapter two, verse one. So look there, glance over there really quickly. We're gonna look at some of the nuts and bolts of what the problem is, and then we're also gonna briefly look at what the solution is, okay? Chapter two, verse one. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Now it's interesting because Paul spends his entire time in chapter one going, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And then he switches gears, and now it's in sin. Notice the key use of that preposition, in again. He's clearly contrasting those two things. Instead of a union in him, Paul's saying that we chose a union in sin. And our position became a state of rebellion. So we became defined by the characteristics of the desires of the flesh. So things like anger, greed, sexual immorality, 
pride, gossip, lying, cursing, yes, even disobedience to parents. Those all became the fruits of our in-sin identity. So this is our shared identity problem. And this is why God needed to do a great uniting work in Christ. Now look at verse four. We'll read verses four through six. This is the solution. The nuts and bolts of the solution. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So my identity reality is being transformed in Christ. Did you see it? Did you see it? Did you pick up on that? God essentially did this. Um, we go from being union in sin, united in sin, to now being united in Christ. He's essentially orchestrated and authorized the greatest divorce in all of redemptive history. And because of this work of Christ on the cross, now my identity is defined not by what I do, but what Christ has already done. So according to scripture, there's only two possible identities. See how simple this gets? I'm either in Christ or I'm in sin. If I'm in Christ or if I'm in sin rather, then my identity is gonna be described by the things of the flesh, those things that we mentioned earlier. If I'm in Christ, then my identity is gonna be described by the things of Christ. So what are those? Well, in addition to the, the I'm graced up, I'm raised up and I'm seated with, reality that we see, those descriptions of our identity here, Paul actually tells us, he gives us the descriptions back in the doxology. So let's flip back into that now, step back into it. And actually Paul uses the gospel words as the descriptors of our identity in Christ. Only this time, let's personalize it. Let's add an I am in front of it. So verse four, I am chosen, I am predestined, I am adopted, I am redeemed, I am forgiven, I am sealed, and all according to the grace of God that he's lavished upon us. So being in Christ then is a fundamental transformation of our identity. We're no longer in sin, we're in Christ. Or you could say it in uh, marital verbiage, in Christ declares my true marital status before God. So my marriage identity is defined by my positional unity. So I'm either positioned in sin or I'm positioned in Christ. Those are my only two options. So some self-examination questions then is which one am I? Those are the questions we should be asking. That's a question we should be asking ourselves. So are we defined by sin or are we defined by Christ? Are we defined by our works? Remember, the choosing that we did was to choose to unite ourselves in sin or are we defined by Christ's work? Some good questions. So at this point, you um, maybe push back a little bit and you're like, okay, Chris, all right, I get you. All right, I realize um, I'm in Christ. I've placed my, my faith in Christ. I know my sins are covered by the blood of Christ. Then why do I still struggle with this whole identity thing? Why do I still struggle answering this question of who am I? Why do I so easily forget that I'm in Christ? I think the answer is to that question or those questions is um, we play an identity masquerade. We do. 
So in our very real struggle that we have with sin, sometimes we forget that we're not living in Candyland, but in a war zone. But yet, we still want to live in Candyland. And the people that we're around every day, they think that life is just one big party where everybody shows up and masquerades as something they're not, dancing to the tune of their own selfish desires. And the merriment and the happiness, the, the party lifestyle, the bright lights, all of it seems very inviting. We tend to forget that life is not about um, a ballroom, but a battlefield. This is the masquerade that we tend to live and uh, it leads to the chaos. Okay, so this is a, a conference, so I get to interact a little bit differently with you uh, than I would on a Sunday morning. So um, when you came in this evening, you should have received one of these. Go ahead and, and take that out right now. We're gonna have a little fun. So our identity chaos comes from thinking that we're in a masquerade ball. You know what they do at a masquerade ball? They, they all show up with masks on. They, they hide who they really are and they pretend that there's someone they're not. And I'm arguing, I'm positing that this is us in life and that we tend to forget who we are in Christ because we're, we're, we think we're in a masquerade ball. All right, so question. In what or whom is your identity. Now think about it. In what or whom is your identity? Is it your marriage? Does that define you? What about your divorce? What about um, struggles in life? Do those define you? What about your desire to be married? What about your singleness? What about your dating? What about your, your job, the success, the failures? What is it that comes to mind when, you're, when you ask yourself that question, okay, what am I finding as my identity right now? And flip over to the back of the mask and I want you to write it out in one or two words. What's that one thing, one or two words on the little white sticker on the back? All right, you guys love me? You know I love you? Everybody say, Pastor Chris loves us. Okay, because here's what I want you to do. I want you to put them on for a minute. Go ahead. Now, I would be doing this too, but look what just happened. If you've got an extra in the back, bring it to me. Thank you. All right. It's a handsome crowd. All right, I want to share with you what I wrote on the back of my mask. All right, I wrote one word, and it was security. 
I wrote security. So I've been in ministry now for about, um, about a year, and um, I've just come to realize that God is using ministry over this last year to really um, make me realize that I've been finding my identity in my security. My previous life, I was in industry, worked as an engineer, and life was, quite frankly, it was good. It was easy, and um, I didn't realize how much I had begun to find my security in that. And over the last year, the Lord has forcibly ripped that mask off my face, and I've had to rest in him and begin to find my security in my eternal hope that I have in Christ. And the rest of us need to do the same thing. Notice also, can't really see very well. Some of you put your glasses on the outsides. <laughs> uh, this didn't go to plan. But some of you, some of you can see barely through it. I know I can't see very well. We kind of have this tunnel vision thing going on. So not only is it annoying, but we also are blinded to see, blinded from seeing Christ, the war, and the victory. So we need to be removing the mask. Go ahead, take them off. We need to persistently remove the identity mask. So Chris, how do I do that? Let me leave us here with three practical ways to be removing the identity mask. How many? All right, straight from our text. First, we must preach the gospel to ourselves. We've got to preach the gospel to ourselves. If you were going to memorize a, a passage of scripture, I would commend to you um, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, the doxology. Because in it describes our identity. And things like, I'm in Christ, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, must all become habits of thought. And we can't think it if we don't know it. So let's preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Second, we need to go face down. Two times in this text, these first three chapters, Paul uh, stops and prays. The, end of, the first one's at the end of chapter one. He prays a prayer of thanksgiving. And then at the end of chapter three, he prays the second time. And this one is, is uh, for strength, all right? And Paul's modeling to us what, we should be doing in our daily lives and we should be face down. Right seeing, humble living comes only after we're face down, flat on the ground in front of the Lord. Lastly, we need to walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Flip over to um, chapter four, verse one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love must all, must all be characteristics of an identity in Christ. And notice the word unity. It's a different word here that he uses. Same idea. A un uniting in Christ enables 
unity in each other. That's huge when it comes to marriage and other relationships. So because of God's great uniting work in Christ, my identity is no longer defined by what I do, but by who Christ is and what he has done. So when life falls apart, when life gets hard, we can rest in that. Let's bring this mindset of who we are in Christ now. Let's enter into the rest of this conference with this mindset of, I am in Christ. All right, two books I commend to you. Um, the first one is The Gospel Primers by Milton Vincent. I'll have it down here. You can look at it. Um, that's an excellent book, really easy read. Uh, the second one I commend would be um, The Gospel-Centered Life by C.J. Mahaney. That's a fantastic book. I actually think you should, everyone should purchase a book of that, keep it on your nightstand, or take it to work with you because it is a really simple read, but really really helpful in terms of helping us be, just be mindful of who we are in Christ and how we are to walk in a manner of our identity in Christ. Okay? So those two books are located at our resource table. You can go online and purchase them um, out at Amazon, and uh, I commend them to you. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for our time here this, morning, this evening, and Lord, we just pray that uh, you would take what we've learned here in your word and that the Holy Spirit would even now be at work in our hearts. Lord, help us to, to learn from this. We love you. We pray for the rest of this conference. Pray for Pastor Doug as he gets ready to come up in this next session, Lord. God, just be in it. And we love you. It's all for you. Your name, amen.